Good morning. Welcome back. For uh, those who might have forgotten who I am over the last 16 months, uh, my name's Kyle. I'm one of the lead pastor here at the church, and uh, it's my pleasure. It's part of my role that I get to help us open up scripture and see what God would have to say to us. And so today we're going to be continuing on in our sermon series looking at the book of Jonah. So if you've got a Bible, feel free to crack it open, find your way there. Uh, you don't have a Bible, you want one, you can feel free to grab one from the front entrance, pull out your phone, however you'd like to access that. But while you're looking there, I'm just wondering, have any of you guys heard about this guy, Michael Packard, who's been in the news for the last few weeks? You might know this, Michael Packard is a commercial lobster diver from Massachusetts. Well, on July 12th, Michael Packard was doing what he does best. He was diving for lobsters to catch uh, his haul so he could feed his family, so he could run his business. And he was on his second dive for the day. And uh, as he dove down, it was like any other dive. He was going down. He saw some fishes. There was a school of, of lances over here. There was a school of stripers over there. And he was surveying the ocean floor when all of a sudden he felt a shove and he gets shoved from behind and then all of a sudden he feels something starts to surround him and it goes pitch black now he's freaking out because he's swimming in great white shark territory and so he is panicked but as he starts to sort of catch himself and and, and figure out what's going on, he realizes, I'm not in pain. I, I don't feel anything ripping. There, there's no teeth. What is going on? And so after about somewhere between 30 and 40 seconds of this violent shaking in a darkness, he spit out of the mouth of a whale. Well, this is, this is crazy. Like, the guy was terrified. He had no idea what was going on. This is a rare occurrence that sort of happens once in a generation because whales just aren't known to gobble people up. And it couldn't swallow him, but it got him in his mouth before it spit him out. And he has now been trying to figure out what to make of all this. Can you imagine that? Like, what would you do? Now, if you were me, you would panic. Well, I, I, I like being in the water. Uh, I mean, I did guiding for a number of years, sailing, whitewater rafting, kayaking, but I hate open water. Like, it just freaks me out. Like, I do not like not knowing what's around me and feeling like I can't swim somewhere. I'm a pretty strong swimmer, but if I can't get to the edge, I, I'm not in. And so I think that would be it for me. Like, I would be done ever going in the ocean. But this guy, he, he's trained. He, he's used to here trying drills of what if my oxygen runs out? What if I need to depressurize quickly? Like all this sort of thing. But one of the questions that has kept coming to him from reporters and those who have been investigating is, what does this mean for you next? Are you going to keep doing this? Is this going to be a change of direction? How do you feel about life in general after going through this great unique adventure? I think these are some of the questions that we might find ourselves asking if we were in that situation. And today we're going to explore some of the thoughts and implications that might come from going through a situation like this by studying the book of Jonah. 
Now, the situation that we read about in the book of Jonah isn't quite the same as Michael Packard's scenario back then on the 12th of June, but it has some similarities, but it also has many differences. And so we're going to look at this and, and, and begin to see what we can learn about how an experience like this might alter our perception of the world around us, the God we know, and how those two things intersect. And so, as we're looking at today's scripture, we're going to be looking at Jonah chapter 1, verse 17, and we're going to carry on through chapter 2, verse 10. But before we get there, let me just remind us of where we're at. We've been following the story for one chapter of the books thus far, and we have this prophet from Israel who's called by God to go to another nation, to the to the empire of Assyria, to the great, their great capital city of Nineveh. And God has told this prophet, I want you to go and tell them that because of the way they live, because of the, the terrible things that they have done, that they deserve my wrath. And I want you to go and preach that message to them and tell them to stop what they're doing and turn themselves towards me. Now we also know that Jonah is this patriotic nationalist who is all for Israel and nothing else, especially not Assyria, who's one of the nation's enemies. And so he says, not a chance. And so rather than going east to Nineveh, he heads down to the port city of Joppa. He pays for the ticket to the sunny west coast of Spain. Says, I'm out of here. See you later, God. There's not a chance I'm going there. As he sets sail, he, of course, ends up not being able to outrun God because God sends an incredible storm. The storm is so severe that these experienced Mediterranean sailors start freaking out. They lose their mind when this storm comes. They start dumping their expensive cargo overboard. They start praying to whatever God they can think of in hopes that they might be rescued. Finally, they come to Jonah because Jonah has told them that he is on the run from God. And they say, what are we doing? How do we get out of this? What needs to happen next? Jonah finally kind of comes to this place where he realizes it is because of him. And he says, throw me overboard. That's going to take care of this. This will get you through. Send me over the edge. Now that's a pretty wild thing for this guy to say we remember he's a prophet of israel he lives in an area where you just don't go in the water probably never knew how to swim the israelite culture unless they were seamen wouldn't have learned how to go out on the, in the water and swim by and large and so there wasn't much of a chance so when jonah gets thrown overboard we know that this is a pretty hopeless situation Here's a man from the desert, lost and drowning at sea. And that's where we pick up today. Jonah chapter 1, verse 17. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God. He said this, he said, In my distress I called out to the Lord, and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead I called for help, and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, and the current swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. 
I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again towards your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord. And my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. I will say, salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. You can see in and, and feel the drama of this event through Jonah's prayer. But before we can dive in there, we, we do need to address this, this case of this huge fish. Just like what many people have done with the story of Michael Packard is we approach these types of things that are out of the norm with a, a level of skepticism. If you were to read the, any of the reporting that's happened on Michael Packard's story, you, you can almost sense... The, the reporters are like, did this really happen? Like, did somebody actually see this? What, 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 come on, what really happened, Michael? The same thing is very true for us as we have read the story of Jonah for generations, over millennia. People have constantly asked this question, well, how can I believe this? It seems so far-fetched. It seems so stretched. We seem to have this level of skepticism because this is... Well, it's miraculous. It doesn't make sense of our, our normal day. And so we rightfully, in many ways, say, well, why can or should I take this seriously? Now, one part of being able to address that is just the fact of wrestling through the question of do we believe in the miraculous or not? I'm not going to spend our whole time there because this section isn't the, the bulk or the main heart of this passage. But if this is something that you're interested in, of exploring these questions around, around the miraculous and why can or do we believe this as, as Christians, I'd encourage you to contact us at the church. We'd love to, to sit down and talk about this because there is so much that we read about in God's word that's miraculous and it's important for us to wrestle with. But for today, what I want to do is kind of camp out on this for those who are maybe open to that, and especially for those of us who are followers of Jesus. And so to start with, why can or should we believe that this may have happened for those of us who are Christians, my simplest answer is because the author and perfecter of our faith says that it was so. Jesus said that he believed what was written in Jonah. And we see that when Jesus teaches about himself, he actually references his prophecy about what he will go through to the book of Jonah. In Matthew chapter 12, for instance, in verses 39 to 40, we see Jesus say this. He says, a wicked and adulterous generation will ask for a sign. And that's this, this symbol from God. He, he says, they'll ask for a sign, but none will be given except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. I don't think that if Jesus was making this prophecy, he was making a claim to a certain truth of how things would come to be, which we did see 
came to reality that he would reference a fictional story. That would really weaken his position. That would allow people who, of his day, if that was how they viewed this, to really just dismiss Jesus. No, Jesus camped out on a historical fact and said, this happened, and like that happened, I too will accomplish this. Now, this isn't to say that Jesus was naive. Some people look back and he's just like, ah, Jesus was just a country bumpkin from generations ago. He doesn't understand science. He's just naive. He doesn't understand the way the world works. Well, I would challenge that by just looking at the way that Jesus references Jonah. He calls it a sign. Jesus is referring to the fact that this is miraculous. A sign is a a divine symbol of God at work. He's saying Jonah and what happened there was a miracle. It was enabled by God alone. And so for me, when we hear this and we read this, particularly as Christians, we should be careful to dismiss it. Because when we challenge Jesus' view of this, we challenge the God of the universe to what he says is right. I'm not saying we give up science. I'm not saying we give up wrestling through this and trying to understand this. But I am saying that the God of the universe has said so. And we as his followers should trust him. But the other reason I think that we can trust in this miracle as followers of Jesus is because our whole faith hinges on a much more significant miracle. We believe as Christians that the God of the universe chooses to work in it sometimes in different ways. God sent his son to live, to die, to stay in a grave, and then to rise again and one day ascend back into heaven. God chooses to save his people through the miraculous. And if he could orchestrate a miracle which would cover all the sins and rebellion of all the people in the world through time, could he not do this lesser miracle with the person of Jonah? I really want to challenge us as we resist this as just fiction. Now, some will say, well, I believe in the resurrection of Jesus, but surely this is, this is just a parable. It's kind of a, a legend that they use for teaching. It's, it's some type of allegory. Well, I would challenge that just by looking at the text itself. Normally, when we, we read a, a parable, what happens in the parable is the central focus, which it's not in this case. The focus will actually, as we'll see, be about the God behind Jonah's answer to prayer. But also, when we have these allegories and these legends that are tried to create, you, 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 you put a little pizzazz into them. There's not a whole lot of great detail or, or grand storytelling that happens as the author of Jonah writes this account. It's in three verses, just little quick statements as fact. He doesn't try to spice it up and say, oh, and then because this story happened, dear children, we need to learn this. Oh, because the story happened, we therefore can understand this is the way the world works. No, it's just three statements of fact that happen in verse 17, chapter 2, verse 1, and chapter 2, verse 10. This is what happens. The miraculous works because God is at work. The fish was never intended to be the central focus of the story. The whole book of Jonah, it's not the central focus. It's not even the central focus of this chapter. The central focus of this chapter, as I said, is the fact that there is a God 
who delivers, who saves his prophet, and will continue to show his grace and mercy to people. So let's take a look at this central focus as we reread Jonah's prayer from, that he prays from inside the belly of that fish after he was rescued. Verse 2, he said this, In my distress I called out to the Lord, and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead I called for help, and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, and the currents swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you, Lord my God, you brought my life up from the pit. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord. And my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will make good. I will say salvation comes from the Lord. As we read this, we get a sense of the moments that Jonah had. We, 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 we get a, an understanding of the intensity of what it was like before Jonah was delivered by God. When Jonah, this prophet from the desert, gets tossed overboard, we can imagine the panic that must have ensued. There's been this great storm that has struck fear into the, the, the lives of these sailors. They've had to basically dump everything off their ship to just save it, and now he is in swimming as that storm settles. But we know that when he first hits the waters, it's, it's not settled. He tells us about how the breakers and waves begin to sweep over him. Many of us who have swum in the ocean maybe have had that experience where you've gone out and a wave's hit you from behind and you get knocked over and just as you come up to take a breath, that next wave hits you and knocks you down. This is what he's experiencing out in the water. He is struggling, doing everything he can to try to stay afloat, but it is no he describes this hopeless sense of sinking he begins to sink letting his breath float out from his body it says that he begins to descend to where the mountains come from we get a sense of this depth and this darkness and cold creeps over him can almost sense this hopeless feeling that would come as the light from the surface is no longer visible and as he drowns it says that the seaweed wraps around him choking at his head and neck dragging him to his death in this moment jonah knows it's all done but worse than death he also knows that he has been far from god is God, I know that you have banished me. I know that I am far from you. And in verse 7, we read, though, that there becomes this moment. We don't know if it's between flickers of, of consciousness and unconsciousness, or if this is right before the moment where he last might give up his last breath. But in verse 7, he says, When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord. 
and my prayers rose to you, to your holy temple. And so Jonah, in his final moments, feeling left alone to die, calls out for God to save him. And in a moment, God answers that prayer by providing this fish who will keep him from drowning in the sea. And what I love about this prayer is, is notice that he's inside the fishes he prays in. It's not like Jonah has now escaped from the sea and now he's back on the shores of the Mediterranean sipping a cocktail. No, he is stuck in the midst of it. He's still in a fish. He's still in mortal danger. He doesn't know what's coming next, but he knows that God answered his prayer. He knows that God has delivered him thus far, and so even though he's not out of the woods, he does what he ought to. He says, thank you, God, for being my provider. Thank you, God, for saving me. Now, as we reflect on this prayer, for some maybe this is a difficult prayer to think about because you don't resonate. For others, maybe you do. Perhaps you're in a place right now where you feel in distress because you know that your rebellion from God has taken you somewhere that you do not want to be. Well, for you, I would encourage you to look at this prayer and consider the provision that God can provide even in the darkest of moments, God will be there. As we consider this, I, I encourage us to take away three things, three things that we can take away about God and his character of having grace and mercy on people. And the first thing that I want us to take away is this idea that God provides deliverance when we deserve death. God delivers when we deserve death. When we call on God, he provides. We see that right in the book of Jonah. There's no question that Jonah deserves God's wrath. I mean, God spoke to him specifically. He knew his job already was a prophet. He'd already been used by God to relay messages from people. But for some reason, when this one came, he said, no way. And not only did he just question God a little bit, but he actually ran from God. It says he tries to flee the presence of the Lord. He says, I'm out of here. This is full-on, full-scale warfare against God. He says, I will rebel against you. Jonah didn't just casually fall out of a boat that was sailing across the sea. This was already in the midst of God saying, I will come for what is right. God has a sense of wrath because he is good, because he is perfect. He's holy, which means he's set apart and pure, and he cannot deal with his people resisting with him. And so there will be consequence. But in spite of the fact that Jonah chose rebellion, when he called on the Lord, the Lord delivered him. And that tells us a lot about the character of God. It tells us that God is kind and gracious, that as much as he is just and he has a sense of wrath because he is good, that he also carries with it a tenderness and a mercy, that he loves his people. 
And that was good news, not just for Jonah, because Jonah's drowning and he needs some way out when he cannot swim, but for it's good news for us today too, because God's character has not changed. And God has said that he will come deliver us from our, the wrath we deserve, from the death we deserve to die. And so just as Jonah was rescued by a fish, we are rescued by the prophet, by the one true God who came and said he's the fulfillment of all of God's deliverance. God chose to send his son Jesus to die on the cross because all of us have lived in rebellion. We couldn't live the perfect life, and so Jesus came and did just that. Jesus took on the penalty of death, which none of us could bear to experience. God says that if you call on me, even in your rebellion, even while you're still my enemy, I will provide a way of salvation. There's some of us, perhaps, who have been far from God, and we know it. We've fought him, we've resisted him, but it's time for the reckoning. We've experienced it, perhaps. Perhaps we've yet to experience, but it is to come. God promises that he will deal with the consequence of sin, and that will be death and eternal separation from a good and loving God. But, he says, if you turn around and look to me, if you acknowledge your rebellion, if you ask for my forgiveness, God says, I will forgive you, and I will be good to deliver you from your troubles, to restore you to new life and relationship with me. If you've resisted that call of God, it's time to turn to him for your deliverance. And there's more good news. There's more good news that we can take from this. And the second thing is that God does not require everyone who calls on him to res have resolved everything before they come to him. I love that sense of this chapter. We see that Jonah is rescued before he's worked everything out with God. Jonah's still in the midst of his disobedience. He, wasn't, he didn't fall in the water when he had had a change of mind out in Spain and he decided to sail back to Nineveh. No, he was still headed completely in the opposite direction. We see that he hasn't resolved all his issues with Nineveh and God sending him there because when we get to later chapters, we're going to see that he still fights God. He still resists him. He still questions his goodness. He still has some trust issues. We see that God has, or Jonah has some things with God. But we see that even in the midst of that, when Jonah called on God for his deliverance, that God provided and I think that's important because I think so many of us today, whether we're, we're, we're not followers of Jesus or whether we are, we have set up these artificial barriers which we use to say God can't. God can't love me. God can't save me. God can't use me. And we put these barriers up because of our own views of who God is and what he can do. Jonah put God in a box. He said, well, God's here in Israel, so if I head way out west, he's not going to be able to get me. Surprise, says God. I can get you wherever. I can get you on the ship. I can get you from the sea. It sounds a little bit like a Dr. Seuss book, but um, he, he goes and he, and he says, you know, I can rescue you from anywhere. I can get to you anywhere. 
So many of us have put up these barriers and we've we've said things like, God can't because, and then just fill in the blank, because I'm not good enough, because I don't know enough, because I haven't done enough, because I have questions, because I have doubts. We try to limit God. But what the story of Jonah, what Jonah's prayer teaches us is that God is big enough that God will come to us despite all circumstances and in sometimes in spite of us. So whatever barrier you think is too big for God, I challenge you, call on him and see what he does. The third thing that we see is the reason behind God's mercy. God shows us mercy so that we could be more like him, so that we could take his mercy to others. Well, it's not uh, only found in in chapter 2. We have to read on to to see it all. We see that as soon as this fish spews Jonah up onto dry land, what does God do? He says, Jonah, now that you've experienced my mercy, go be merciful. Now that you've experienced my love and grace, go show that love and grace. Now that you've tested my limits, go reveal and test them some more. And so God chooses to use Jonah to bring his message to the nation of uh, Assyria so they might receive some of his mercy. One of the most significant themes that we need to take out of the book of Jonah is not just that God is merciful, but that we are called to be as merciful as God is merciful. God invites us to be more like him and to live like him in a world after we've, like him after we've experienced him. We're called to show the love and grace that he's shown to us, to everyone. And sometimes that means that we're going to have to do it with people we don't love so much. Just like Jonah was called to these people who he had a deep hatred for. There's going to be some of us who are called to go and reveal God's love to those we struggle with. Those co-workers we just plain don't like. Those family members who are the thorn in the side at every family gathering. God tells Jonah, he says, My love, my grace, my mercy aren't just for the nation of Israel. That message is still true for us today. God's love, his grace, and his mercy aren't just for the church. It's for the whole world, and we as people who have experienced it are called to go and be ambassadors of that message to everyone, to everywhere that we go. And so as we consider this chapter of Jonah today, I'd invite you to reflect on what's next. Perhaps you're in the midst of that difficult season because you know you have been disobeying God. Well, then your response ought to be to turn your life around. The Bible uses this language of repent, to do a 180 and turn back to God and call on him to deliver you from it, to ask for his provision in this difficult season. Perhaps for many of us, what we need to do is is look back at the storm. To consider some of the storms that we've been through recently, and instead of just moving on from them, look into them for the places where we can see God's 
provision, his mercy, what he's done for us. They say hindsight's 2020, and I think that's a little ironic after this year we've all been through. But we've been through a tough 16 months. There's COVID and everything else that's been going on in the world, and I don't know a single person who has not come through some form of storm. Well, what we should see and learn from this text is that we need to look to God. Perhaps the most constructive thing you can do for your faith today or this week is to just stop and invite the Holy Spirit to reveal to you how he has been at work in you and what you can take from that to go and bring that to the world. As we identify God's grace and mercy in our lives, would we not just embrace it for ourselves, but bring it to those around us? We have a good God who loves us and so often in spite of us. But he is good. He will provide. Let's look to him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for who you are and Lord God for what you have accomplished, not just in God, I thank you for the life of Jonah and what you accomplished there. And Lord God, that seems weird to say because someone went through something so traumatic. But Lord God, that we can look at that as a, as a mirror for ourselves. God, we've been through so much as individuals, as a church over the last year. And God, it, it has felt at times for so many as, as a storm. But Lord God, would we see how you have provided. God, we, we, we thank you as we've been celebrating today through, through word and prayer and just being together, God, the, the provision of you, and we thank you for that. But Lord God, will we not keep that for ourselves and just for the church, but will we take it to the world? God, we pray for all those right now who are experiencing the wildfires around our province, and Lord God, the chaos of, of storms, and Lord God, we don't look to that as as the, the single source because of one person's sin, but Lord, we know we live in a world that has just had havoc wreaked on it because of our rebellion against you as humanity. And Lord God, I pray for those who know you that they would rest and, and trust in, in, in your divine power and plan. And Lord God, would you give them peace and would you give them provision? Lord, for those who don't know you, I pray that this would somehow be used by you to be an opportunity for them to call on you to come into relationship with you lord god would you do an incredible work through this this terrible situation lord god we cling to that promise that that you work together all things for the good of those who love you and so lord god we ask and invite the opportunity for those people to experience your goodness and grace Lord God, for everyone here who is far from you, God, I pray that they would come to know you, that they would trust in the goodness of who you are. Lord God, reveal to us more and more about you. And now, Lord God, as we take the things that are stirring in our hearts, our minds, our souls, and we respond to you through song, Lord God, I pray that we would we would celebrate you out of what you have done for us. God, would this next song of, of singing of, of this praise would it be uh pleasing to you god would you get great joy looking down on all the people who you have saved who you have provided for lord god would would you hear us singing not because we can ever bring anything close to good enough but lord god we want to respond in a way that brings you great joy and brings you more glory honor and praise and so lord god we bring this all to worship your holy name 
And we pray this in the power of Jesus, in the power of the Holy Spirit, in the love of you, Father. Amen.